0: There were many winners and losers when it came to GameStop. Now the dust has settled, what are the lasting impacts on our behaviors as investors? This week, hear from two experts in behavioral finance on their perspectives. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. I'm excited for you to hear this episode between myself, Preep Banerjee, and David Lewis. Now, unfortunately, due to perhaps, well, at least my perspective, the freezing cold Arctic weathers of Alberta, the internet wasn't coming into my house properly. Or perhaps I just had a bad network connection, but I'm going to go with the minus 30 to minus 35, even 45 with the wind chill. It's been chilly over here. But what I'm getting to is our connection started to cut out and I've done my best to edit it so that we can get the most of this conversation and when you listen to it, you will see that pieced it together to minimize any sort of cutting out. Now you can listen free without the headache of hearing those annoying zoom delays. So what do we talk about on this episode? We talk about some really, really important things now that the dust has settled with the GameStop mania. We talk about what is a short squeeze, but then we talk about the gamification of investing and how it is a recipe for disaster, how behavioral biases impact our financial lives. We talk about the bigger impact of zero cost trades, and we talk about some financial influencers and how they're actually harmful to investors like yourself and myself, and much, much more. Please join me with these two amazing guests who both spend so much of their time and energy studying behavioral finance. Enjoy. I am happy to have two uh, financial experts on the show to talk about what has happened over the past few weeks with the craziness of GameStop. We, we know that GameStop has captivated the attention of not only the investment world, but governments, regulators, and people who really didn't talk about Investments before. We're seeing people, I know people have reaching out to me. I'm hearing other people say the same thing, talking to people who've never ever talked about a stock, all of a sudden saying words like short selling, short squeeze, what's a hedge fund manager, Wall Street's bad, Robinhood, Wall Street bets, just all these words that we've never heard come out of their mouth. They're saying it. And I think for some, it touches feelings of social injustice. It touches some people, it touches the ease of the trading practices that are happening right now. For some, it's investor psychology. Some people are asking, is there a powerful shift around Wall Street? And just a ton of financial behavioral things that are playing out right now. And today, I'm so excited to explore the impacts of stock that really go beyond the numbers and the money that was won or lost in the market. So to help me, I have... First off, I'm going to introduce David Lewis. He's the president of research at B-Works. David has earned his PhD in marketing consumer behavior. He's also obtained an MBA in finance and strategy while also holding, holding a chartered financial analysis. What this means is David has a lot of years of research and education on the technical side of financial markets, but also on the humanistic side and from a behavior perspective. Also, we have our first repeat guest, uh, Preet Banerjee. So, who originally was trained as a neuroscientist, Preet now excels within the world of finance. Preet has been featured on the CBC's National, the Morning Show, and Global, in the Globe and Mail, and his own YouTube channel, and of course, his own podcast, Mostly Money. Preet is the founder of a fintech, fintech company called Money Gaps. Preet's hope is to inspire others to become financially empowered through his world-class expertise and his ability to take the complexity out of man or out of money matters, and I hope we could do that today, Preet. Oh, so we'll give you. it a shot anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Preet, my first question is for you. I saw on LinkedIn a couple days after uh, the craziness of GameStop came out, you posted a fabulous online video explaining stocks, what a short squeeze is, what short selling, and so forth. If anyone hasn't seen that, head over to Preet's uh, YouTube channel. We'll put a link in. But fast forward a few weeks later, some people watch your videos. Some people watch other people's videos. Do you think, if, if possible, <laughs> can you explain that video in a few few minutes about like what is a short sell why do companies short or why do investors look for short selling and what is this short squeeze that everyone's talking about
1: yeah sure and for the full sort of 20 minute in-depth explanation you can always go to that video but mm-hmm. here's sort of the cole's notes in audio form as best as uh, i can <laughs> i can do so just Generally speaking, you know, a, a typical investment is when you buy low and sell high, right? And so you try and find a company that you think the stock price is going to go up. You buy it at a low price, hope to sell it at a high price down the road. But there are some situations where people believe that uh, a company may be overvalued, and so they want to um, basically buy and sell in reverse. And that's what short selling really is: you sell first at the current price, and you hope to buy it back later at a lower price and that's sort of the key to the idea of short selling and the first question most people have is well how do you sell something that you don't own because i would do that all day long right (laughs) so you can't just go out and say well i'm going to sell my neighbor's house Uh, what you do is you have to borrow that share from your brokerage you actually pay interest on that but no one tends to really care about that with short selling they're just focused on sort of the capital loss potential you you sell it at the current price and then to close out your trade then buy the stock later, and so if the stock goes down, you buy it at a lower price and you make money. But if the stock goes up, then that's when you can run into some problems because you know the theoret- the theoretical loss on a short position is infinite because you know you you get a certain amount of money for selling it first, but if the stock goes up and really goes up high, your losses are a lot more than what you put up in in the first place. So it can be very risky when it goes the other way. And that's what happened with GameStop. There was a bunch of people on, you know, this this subreddit that were convinced that the stock was going to go up. They had identified that this stock was so out of favor. It had been shorted more times than there actually were shares that exist mm-hmm. for this company. So the short interest, the ratio of shares that were borrowed to be sold, was I think a 140% at one time. So unbelievable levels of short selling. And people kind of put it together say, you know, we could actually squeeze these short sellers, which at the time were mostly big hedge funds, billion dollar hedge funds. And so they all started buying these uh, stocks. The buying interest got higher and higher. and That pushes the price up and when the price is going up as a short seller you're freaking out because you know your losses mount and mount and mount and so this is where you get the squeeze because to get out to bail out of your short position You have to buy shares so that adds buying pressure which further pushes the price up and then and whoever is still left short selling they're in a bigger loss and it, it kind of creates this positive feedback cycle and so that's that's essentially what happened and why you saw this this stratospheric increase in prices there's a little bit more which has to do with options trading but it's very technical We can talk about that if you want or you can send people to the video
0: yeah the video was fantastic especially with your drawings we will definitely send into the video now short selling uh david our pre-jump in short selling short squeeze have been around for years how come it's this time that we fi- or not finally but we're really hearing about this is it the internet is it about the robin hood app it's what, what do you think was different about this one that we're hearing about it
2: I think I'll jump in on that one. Uh, I think you've identified it. You know, there has been short squeezes in the past. um, You know, to very large companies, even Volkswagen, for example. There's there's a long list of short squeezes, but it's usually been one hedge fund against another, or sophisticated institutional investors, or highly sophisticated individual investors that are on the other side of that short squeeze. This, I think, is the first time where it's been widely Known that it's individual investors jumping in there. So if you if you were looking at the, the level two trading data, this wasn't blocks of hundreds of thousands of shares that were moving around. These were single shares, you know, second by second by second, it was individual shares. So this is people plopping down their two, their three, their $400. Um, and, you know, so that's one thing that makes it very different. I think another thing that makes it very different is, Usually with these companies, there's some underlying fundamental where the people who engage in the short squeeze believe that the price has been driven down too low by people excessively short selling and that the fundamental value is actually you know, pretty much at the market value or might be a little higher. Uh, GameStop is a bit of a difficult case because it, it's been a business that's been struggling for a long time. And in fact, you could make a pretty rational, you know, financial or economic argument that where it was trading was overvalued. So the short sellers were actually on the right side of this trade here. And you know, you've got a you've got a stock that's got a book value below ten bucks. The consensus value is somewhere around fifteen. For it to hit four hundred and eighty three bucks a share, which is what it hit, it's you know, it's more than three thousand percent above its rational value. And, and that's why I think those two things make this a little bit different. Um, the underlying fundamentals of the trade did not make sense in the long run. Um, you know, if you bought Volkswagen to try and do a short squeeze and we're left holding Volkswagen, that's not so bad. If you bought GameStop at 250 bucks a share and we're left holding it, you've got to find a greater fool to buy it off you for 250 bucks a share because it's probably worth closer to 10 So I think those two things, number one, that this is a bit of a This is class warfare. This was, you know, thousands and thousands of Redditors doing this. Um, That's one thing that was different. And and I think, you know, the advent of zero-cost trading with Robinhood made it possible for them to do that. Um, You couldn't do that before. They could now. So, number one, it's different. The underlying fundamentals are, are upside down. And number two, this was thousands and, you know, tens of thousands of people getting involved in this.
0: Right. Preet, you got anything on there? I got two things from there that I'm going to go into, but before, Preet, I see you nodding your head and laughing. Or sm-
1: <laughs> yeah, in, in nodding in agreement. Uh, agree. David David's absolutely right. There's so many things that have changed in the last little while. Um, one of the things that I think is coming to the forefront is just how much more speculative uh, trading activity has been on the retail side, because... Trading has been democratized really well, almost too well. In fact, I think a lot of people would say it has been democratized almost too much. And when you take a look at the gamification of, of trading, as David mentioned, you know the barrier to entry for uh, someone to invest, you can buy one share with no commissions. In fact, I think when you sign up to a couple of different services, they will randomly allocate you one share of a stock. And uh, we know from the endowment effect that that one stock that you get is going to mean something more to you than, you know, had you just sort of picked from a whole bunch of different stocks. And so your behavior has already changed, right? Because they've given you this stock. And also when you place a trade, when you make a buy purchase on the Robinhood app, confetti explodes on the yeah. screen, right? And, and and your brain is like, oh, wow, this is great. This feels so good. I want to do more of this buying. And, you know, the the narrative that David alluded to about... Kind of like mainstream versus wall street uh that that kind of served as this this spark because if you've spent any time on wall street bets the subreddit you will see that it is a giant support group for speculative gambling investors not only do they celebrate the wins and you know historically it's always people always tell you they're winners and they don't tend to tell you they're losers but this group they celebrate the losses too. They actually tag those posts where people lose their college savings as loss porn, right? And when you post that, you get a pat on the back. You have this giant support group. There were 2 million people in this forum when this all started. I think there's now 8 million people on the forum. The dynamics are totally changing because now you've got other people like, you know, we have some questions about what you guys are doing here. So it's changing the dynamic a little bit, but before it kind of came, uh, you know a common term that we know wall street bats it was a, a giant support group for these incredibly speculative traders
0: oh wow okay so a couple things there you really touch on the gamification um uh, with the ease of self-directed accounts these low tr- cost trading or virtually no cost for robin hood and this confetti that you speak of uh, what impact do you think this is having on investors? I've heard some people say that, yeah, it's great that people can uh, challenge Wall Street and it's great to have Robin Hood coming in there to allow the small guy to get access to these type um, of impact to the markets. But what, what issue, if any, do you guys see being created here with the gamification and also this narrative being like, oh, this is a good thing. The small people are giving Wall Street a taste of their own medicine.
2: So I'll jump in, uh, Preet. I I think one of the things you're seeing here is something uh, that a behavioral scientist would refer to as overconfidence bias. Um, And it's related to another um, observed phenomenon called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And what that basically says, the danger is that the less people know about something, the more they think they know. Uh, and that creates the overconfidence there, you know, there's a subreddit called what could go wrong. Well, if you go and look at what could go wrong, you'll see all kinds of terrible, you'll see exactly what can go wrong. And, and you know, it's obvious. And to me, it's somewhat ironic that
0: you've got wall street bets and a lot of these people have the attitude, you know, David's audio starts to crack up, but what he says is the attitude, the subreddit readers and online individuals were saying is what can go wrong here? This is an Occupy Wall Street movement online and it was fueled potentially by a moral outrage and they wanted to show the hedge fund managers that they can influence their short squeeves. But what David wants to point out is after some research has been done, it's looking like the hedge fund managers have covered their losses and have been able to break even. Let's get back to David.
2: People who lost here are the people that bought the stock at four hundred and eighty dollars and are now holding on to a stock that today closed below fifty dollars, and that's that's really that's um, saying you know hold my beer while I you know climb up this ladder and see what happens what could go wrong. And this is, as Freed said, this is people's college
0: funds. Now David switches his conversation to what is the impact on the average person who's not a hedge fund manager who participated in this event. Down to a
2: stock that today closed below fifty dollars, um, and that's that's really um, that's saying you know hold my beer while I you know climb up this ladder and see what happens, what could go wrong. Uh, this is, as Preet said, this is people's college funds. Right? This you know this could be next month's rent.
1: There are some some really interesting parallels between what happened that week or two, and to a certain extent, is still happening with GameStop. And the insurrection at the capitol on january sixth um i I would forget who it was who was talking about this, but they're talking about riot di- dynamics, and um you know when you've got this this mob engaged in this action like a like a crowd they they're more likely to take these riskier actions when they are supported by the crowd, and it creates this illusion of size and power that they have. What they can get away with. So you saw these people at the Capitol doing insane things, like just like, 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 you know, destroying uh, the seat of democracy in the US. In this mania of this this event, and, and you know it's the same thing happening with with GameStop. People are piling in hard earned money, and the ones who are going to get hurt the most are piling in. You know now or a couple days after once once and David is spot on on in this, and it was precisely a day later.
0: Pric goes on to talk about how it started out as David versus Goliath, but then a few days later. David found himself on the sideline and it was Goliath versus Goliath. And only a few days later, the average investor, as Preet says, was being tossed around like a canoe in a tsunami.
1: Because after that, as soon as Wall Street can find a way to make money, they will be there, right? So I was flooded with people who were reaching out to me saying, how do I open an account? How do I buy GameStop? Right? These are all the wrong questions. This is not investing. That is gambling.
2: And at least in uh, casinos, there's regulars that ensure it's a fair game. Uh, it's not a fair game on wall.
0: Okay, we are back after much technical difficulties. I am downstairs now with my two and four-year-old running around. So uh, we're going to get back in this question about gamification and trading. So over the last number of years, we've seen the ease to have access to self-directed investing options and zero commissions be introduced that really have added two things. One, it's very easy to invest, but also they've started gamifying this investment um, or investing uh, Preet, we'll start with you. What, what are your perspectives on this this gamification? And you talked about earlier Robinhood using confetti when you buy it, giving you that free stock. What impact does that have on investments or financial well-being
1: yeah, well, I think the biggest difference is people don't really know what investing is, but they know what gambling is. They know what speculation is. And that's, that's the kind of behavior that is being incentivized and encouraged and, and gamified through these different uh, methods. And so this presents a real challenge because we know that one of the problems in sort of the, the financial advice landscape is, is that people who don't have experience investing, don't have assets to invest, they don't really have have a lot of options and this has been one of the challenges is how do we get good advice Mm -hmm. to the people who now have really easy access to markets because they're getting access without the advice or the guidance and there's only so far that financial literacy can take you especially when you've got these more powerful forces like you know the the herd mentalities the support networks you've got a generation who is saddled with high student debt. They've seen Wall Street get bailed out time and time again. And we have a very polarized society as well. And so it's just a recipe for disaster in some cases. And we've seen that, that play out in this particular case with GameStop.
2: It's entirely possible that with, with COVID, so many people are at home. Um, you know, they're socially isolated. The economy's shut down. A lot of traditional leisure activities are no longer available to them. Um, investor economics actually just came out with a study recently, the Keynes in 2020 trading accounts, um, up from 846,000 in 2019. So you have, you have a lot of people who were never on the Internet, never trading, never taking part in these activities, suddenly are. And, you know, part of the problem there is uh, they don't know what they don't know, and and, and that's it's actually a phenomenon called the dunning kruger effect where the less people know about something the more likely they are to claim that they understand it um you know it's a funny little test you can try yourself everyone knows how a bicycle works right draw a picture of how the gears work between the pedals and the rear wheel and suddenly you go wow i don't actually know how that all works and and you know that's a funny example or dry helicopter right Draw blades of a helicopter and how that works. Feels from it's complicated. And back to Preet's point, people are, you know, people are trading without advice. And it seems simple and it seems easy. How hard could it be? You just put some money in an account and you click buy and how hard could it be? Um, you know, it comes back to the comment the other Reddit sub for it, which is what could go wrong. Well, a tremendous amount can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, wall street hasn't done itself any favors. I think it was wall street just, you know, as a general term for the financial services industry, um, you know, there's a lot of perceived opportunism where people think their advisor is going to take advantage of them. There's perceived deceit, um, you know, the, the Occupy Wall Street movement, uh, you know, never really got satisfaction. Changes were never really made. And so the real sad part of this is that you've got a lot of people that are putting money that they can't afford into the market thinking
0: nothing can go wrong when a tremendous amount can go wrong. Yeah, and so you guys both have touched on that before. And, like, there, there seemed to be this sense of, like, um, helping each other out in the subreddit group of let's stick it to wall street but you both have talked about trade student loans uh david with like putting gambling the rent up in the end i I get the notion that you guys both maybe and please comment here the people who are really losing are, are those individuals buying that one stock who are following that herd mentality um and and ultimately we know what happened their money it went down so do you guys feel like Uh, This Occupy Wall Street virtual through Reddit is the way to get at this um, itch of social, I guess, injustice they feel. Like, do you think this effectively did that for the people who jumped on wanting to bet that that or buy that stock?
1: You know, I think that's that's part of what drew some people in for sure. Um, when you take a look at you know where they are getting advice, so beyond just Wall Street bets, and I mean, think about the the name of this form. It's called Wall Street bets. Yeah, it's, they, they make no no apologies <laughs> about you know these are these are hail mary strategies in many cases. But then if you take a look at um, you know, influencers on on TikTok in some cases and other social media platforms, some of the the advice that they're doling out is horrifically bad. Like mm-hmm. some like there are examples of, you know, uh some people on TikTok saying, you know, my investment share is very simple. I buy a stock when it's going up and when it stops going up, I stop buying it. <laughs> and they're getting millions of shares, right? And and when I say millions of shares, like it's being shared millions of times. Yeah. And a lot of the people saying oh yeah this is this is amazing, and you know there's there's the confirmation bias that that people have as well, and you know there's a tendency first of all to only read the things that you already agree with and you tend not to read things you don't agree with and you also value the credibility of things based on whether or not you already agree with it or not so whatever your initial starting point is tends to get more entrenched over time there is this um i think it was out of stanford, stanford always does the, some of the the most interesting and weird studies in some cases but they took a bunch of students and they divided them into how they felt about capital punishment, whether it would be an effective deterrent to crime or not. So roughly 50-50. And then for everyone, they gave them few studies that were fictitious but were very compellingly written with lots of uh, data and it all looked official and one study said yes capital punishment does in fact serve as a deterrent to crime and the other study says no based on our research analysis it is not a deterrent to crime and so they they presented both studies to everyone and then asked them again how do you feel about capital punishment and whatever their belief was at the beginning got further polarized Mm. and so if you are getting into this and you're surrounded by people who are you know cheerleaders for what you're doing it's easy to see how you will just sort of focus on that and mm-hmm. the stock price gets away from fundamentals people's thinking about how they should be thinking about investing gets away from you know the fundamentals of portfolio construction very quickly yeah
2: yeah that overconfidence bias is incredibly powerful uh, it, it occurs in many different contexts um you know as an example if you ask people how good they are as a driver over 80%, you know, and in the case of the United States, almost 90% of Americans believe they're above average at driving. Well, we know mathematically that's not possible, right? It has to be 50%. Um, and, you know, the challenge is this lack of self-awareness uh, and the overconfidence. Um, you know, if you're skiing, it, it results in bumps and bruises. If you're in, investing on the market, it can have lasting lifetime negative consequences. You know, losing your college fund is no joke. Losing your house is no joke and you know part of the problem is getting good financial advice you know Preet was talking about it there is an echo chamber where there's confirmation bias Mm -hmm. and if you looked at Wall Street bets they were you know they were saying to the moon that the stock was going to go to the moon and Mm -hmm. you know all we have to do is hold on the problem is the economic fundamentals were such that it it couldn't go to the moon you know it would be lucky if it was above 15 bucks and that's you know that's but within those forums they were convinced that they were all going to make a fortune they were going to make millions and what they did have is is that doubter you know the emperor has no clothes they didn't have people in that forum saying why do you believe that there's fundamental value in this stock at 480 dollars when the book value is below 10 help me with the economics here mm. show me how gamestop is going to get you know a fundamental increase in value of over three thousand percent. hey i'll buy it too but i'm not here i i don't see the fundamentals and that you know that's the challenge is it looks simple um, and the other challenge is the financial advisors have not and the financial services industry and the regulators and you know we can all share some blame here. People don't trust professional financial advice anymore. Um, you know, we, we at B works did the study, and uh, the prevailing wisdom is that about 80% is an advisor. You know, that's close to what the, the truth is. But when you ask people whether they listen to the financial advisor, only 13% actually have an advisor and listen to the advisor, which means that 87% either don't have an advisor or ignore their advisor. That's mm-hmm. a problem.
0: hmm this the whole GameStop thing and what you guys are talking about really reinforces to me that investing or finances is not really about the art of finances, rather how people behave with money. That's why I thought both of you would be good because I know, Preet, you um, you talk a lot about the behavioral side and of, uh, B-Works. I know that's what you guys do a lot, David. So when... I want to touch on that idea that you were talking about the confirmation bias and you did too as well, David, but the social media part. And I think Reddit, of course, social media platform – that confirmation bias i think is so strong that i hear people like sending me articles They're like hey look and see i told you whether it's bitcoin or uh GameStop, this was going to happen and i, I want to position this for both of you guys because i know you both have done research and i know part of research it's like i want to prove a point but i also have to go in the lens of how can i be the counterpoint to it like prove myself wrong um let's just talk about Two things here, the danger of these com, confirmation biases and overconfidence bias in our investment world when we don't take a second to just say, hey, wait a second, um, is this actually, you know, is this me being overconfident? So yeah, maybe we'll start with you, Preet. What, what has your experience been on when we don't, if it's an advisor or whomever who could put a gap or I guess a, uh, yeah, a gap between our impulses? Well, I'll tell you with, with respect to my own research, it's it's easy to
1: get a second opinion. I just show what I've been working on to my supervisor, and he looks at me with other disgust, and he says, like, "This is horrible." Um, so that's that's pretty sobering uh, to have uh, have someone there to sort of you know show you that the emperor has no clothes. And that that I think is you know the challenge. Like, where do you go if you're operating in a world where you don't have someone in that that role for you? So that that I think presents um, a big challenge for people because right now they're not going to um, you know. Sort of come to their senses and say, "Oh, maybe I should, you know, change what I'm doing." They tend to keep on doing this. Mm-hmm. And they learn their lesson the hard way. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a huge issue to, to overcome. Um, one of the thing, one of the reasons why, you know, when you take a look at social media and where a lot of people are getting some of this advice right now, the reason they call them influencers is because they influence people's behavior Mm -hmm. and it works, right? That's why it's become an entire new way of marketing to people is through these, these influencers. And there's this halo effect where they like someone, they think, oh, well, just because I like this person, whatever comes out of their mouth must be the gospel. And they just... blindly follow whatever this advice is no matter how um you know completely uh unbackable some of the things that they're saying is
2: yeah there's uh so confirmation bias is one and that's a tendency for you to selectively attend to information that confirms your beliefs um we like to feel comfortable in feeling that that we know we have knowledge that we know the nature of reality that our facts are correct, and and it's very comforting when people tell us that. There's a there's another phenomenon as well that's related. It's called semilove reflex, um, and it's a fascinating story about a, you know a doctor who back in the in uh, the early nineteenth century or late nineteenth century, who believed that uh, disease um, in um, women giving birth. Uh, was caused by germs that were left on the hands of doctors that had been recently dissecting cadavers. It's a morbid story, but the reality was he was right. But um, this belief that there was these invisible little beings on hands, everyone thought was so insane. Uh, the poor man was, was thrown in an insane asylum and, and died there before ever being proven true. And the entire medical uh, establishment at the time actively dismissed everything he said. Not one of them said, well, perhaps there's truth in this. There's a high correlation between doctors that deliver birth after having recently been dissecting cadavers. And that doesn't happen when the doctor hasn't been doing that. So maybe the guy's got something. But instead, they just did everything they could to actively dismiss all his information. Mm. And so I think the answer to that is the scientific method. Um, The scientific method, you don't, you know, as a scientist, you don't attempt to prove something. What you do is you try your very hard to disprove it. And if you're mm-hmm. not able to disprove it, you have to admit it. And, you know, that's an important thing, because what it means is um, the way around overconfidence and confirmation bias is if you really think GameStop is worth $483 a share, spend 10 minutes trying to prove it's not. Mm-hmm. And then you might start to say, well, wait a minute, maybe it isn't worth $483 a share. So it's not hard to do. Um, you know, Pre talked about going to someone else and saying, what do you think of my ideas? And, you know, if your ideas are rubbish, they'll, they'll to be as well, try to prove yourself wrong. And in the extent you're partly successful, you might go, huh, maybe this really isn't worth $480 a share. And maybe I should just buy a good index fund and, you know, watch Wall Street bets from the sidelines. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great story. It reminds me of, I was just uh, reading up on uh, another example of, uh, related to the Dunning-Kruger effect, the, the illusion of uh, explanatory depth. And uh, the specific test that they're giving to people was, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, Rate how well you can explain how a zipper works, how a toilet works. And then they said, All right, now explain how a toilet works. Like, write it down step by step. (laughs) Well, I flush it, the water goes away. Like, well, no, no, what happens between those? (sighs) man, I don't know. And then they ask okay, on a scale of one to 10, how well do you think you can explain a toy? They're like uh, two, <laughs> like I have <laughs> no idea. Right. And so people don't do that though. Right. They, they kind of assume that the information is coming from certain people. Oh, it must be good. So mm-hmm. the quality of those sources is something that we have to address, especially for this new generation of investor.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a big uh, takeaway that I wanted to get from, from you guys is this idea of understanding that we have these biases, as you guys have talked about confirmation um, overconfidence and, and we'll uh, put all the other ones in the show notes, but understanding these things are actually in existence. And as Coleman pointed out, 90% of our financial decisions are emotionally driven so that when we're in that emotionally driven state, um, maybe we're not making those best decisions that serve our future self the best. And just to be aware of that, these things happen to us. I mean, David, on our call a couple weeks ago, you talked about if we rewind over 400 years ago to Netherlands during the tulip bulb mania, um, you look at kind of the impetus of that is um, the bubonic plague was happening, trade was lowering, uh, people were sitting around in taverns, not Reddit groups, bored, and they decided (laughs) to start trading tulips and look what happens. Boom, this insane mania happens. And Fast forward over 400 years later, these manias are still happening, and it's the behaviors. I don't think it's so much the the financial instruments versus the behaviors. Are, we're still hardwired, very similar to what we were 400 years ago. So I guess in closing, yeah. um, I, I want to touch on this one last part because we're going to stick to our, our time. But um, I know a lot of people, and we've talked about this again, but I just want to get – this you talked pretty earlier about democracies is it, is it is trading a democracy or not and I, I read a quote from uh, a professor f- uh, from Michigan University, and he 's also a sociologist, and I just want to read this quote and get your guys' opinion on it because I know i 've heard a lot of people being like, yeah, but wall street's not you know it 's not fair what we 're doing, and we need to continue on but here 's this quote. Rescuing an extremely low-wage employer from short sellers by pumping up its stock is not exactly storming the best deal. Robinhood easing access to stock trading does not democratize the stock market any more than Purdue Pharma democratized opioid addictions. Democracy is about voice, not trading. So this... My question to you, final question to you, Preet, is I guess for consumers out there who are, you know, they might have some anger at the way Wall Street is. What's your advice between like voicing your opinion, uh, doing it through the gambling like we talked about through um, Robinhood or others? But what, what's your general, I guess, word you would like to get out to the consumers around this whole event? I hmm. –
1: Put me on the spot there. I guess Sorry. If I went with one word, I would say agency. Agency, yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, think about what you actually do have control over and focus on how you plan for that, knowing that you, you, you're not going to take down Wall Street, whether it's through a GameStop trade or anything else. It's very unlikely. But you can take stock of what are your goals, um, figuring out what those are, and coming up with a plan to hit those those longer-term goals. And so I know we're, we're up against time. So it really comes down to having a process. And I, I'll, the last thing I'll quickly say about, you know, some of these biases, uh, and, and Dave, I'd like to hear David's thoughts on this as well. People all, always ask me, okay, so once you've identified what these biases are, you can explain them. Does that mean that they don't affect you anymore? <laughs> and um, from my experience, they still do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a great example is the the muller liar illusion i think he's in the first chapter of kahneman's uh, book thinking fast and slow he said look you know the the muller liar illusion is those two uh, parallel lines and there's arrowheads one where <laughs> oh, yeah. they're facing outwards and one they're facing inwards and you look at them and which one's shorter is the one where they the arrowheads are, are pointing outwards and when you take a ruler and you measure them they're at the exact same length but as soon as you take the ruler away, they still look like they're different lengths, right? So it, it's very hard. Even though you know about it, that's not enough. You need processes mm. to help you deal with the fact that those don't go away.
2: Yeah, you know, that, it is a great example. You can't unsee the, uh, optical illusions, um, and, and you can't protect yourself against heuristics and biases. Uh, it's the way our brain is wired. There's evolutionary reasons why our brain take shortcuts. we don't have time to analyze everything. Um, and if you recognize that and you can engage in something called metacognition, which sounds really fancy, but all it really means is think about how you're thinking. So you know when you find yourself you know saying what could go wrong, Think about how you're thinking and make a list of 10 things that could go wrong. And, you know, that was Benjamin Franklin. Make a list of pros, make a list of cons, decide where the preponderance is. There's your decision. When you're convinced you've got the right answer, spend some time convincing yourself you're wrong and see
0: if you still think you're right. Yeah, I really, really like that is convince yourself that you're still right. And that pre-agency, I think uh, in summary, those are really two Wonderful takeaways that I appreciate you guys for bringing up is that sense of agency. What is, what do I want inside of me? How does that align to my goals? And then prove myself that I'm right. And, um, I think that's a lot of good takeaways that we can, we can take from this whole situation. Well, Preet and David, I appreciate your uh, patience with our technical difficulties, but we finished. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your insights with our audience. Uh, we appreciate right, Great your talking trial. to
2: you again, Preet. Great talking to you, Sean.
0: Okay, you guys thank take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week. I really enjoyed this conversation with Preet and David. As I mentioned earlier, they both have studied human behavior when it comes to our financial decisions, and this is a perfect example, this GameStop phenomenon of how human behaviors impact our investing behaviors. If you've been enjoying the podcast and our guest, please, I would like if you could head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. They really help to bring great guests like David and Preet. Thank you so much and have a great day.